millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Seriously, the New Statesman podcast that takes pop culture seriously. I'm Caroline Crampton. And I'm Anna Leskovich. This week we're talking about the Netflix film To All the Boys I've Loved Before and the Mitski album Be the Cowboy. Anna has also watched the 1982 film Tootsie for the first time, so we'll be talking about how that went later in the show. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to another slightly delayed episode of Seriously. Caroline, sadly, has been a bit unwell, haven't you, Caroline? Yeah, I've had a really horrible cold, the kind that you should only get in February or November. But instead, I got over the August bank holiday weekend. Mm, Not ideal. Not ideal. And so missed out on any potential fun and still sound really hoarse and horrible. So I apologize (laughs) in advance if this does not strike your ear very nicely. I'm sure, you know, they'll survive, Caroline, don't worry. And we've also having a quick break next week as well, aren't we, Caroline? We're off again. On again, off again. You're you're away next week, so yeah, I'm no episode next week. next week. That was me but... trying to include Caroline in the blame for us not being on the air next week. And it's actually just me. I'm going on holiday. It'll be my fault another time, don't worry. <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll be back in two weeks after this one. Uh, sorry, it's been a bit on and off this uh, this year. I think in previous summers, you and I have basically managed to go on holiday at the exact same time. Yeah. And this time for the first year, we've actually gone on holiday completely different times. Yeah. So, yeah, there have been breaks in the schedule. Also, I feel like we used to be very organised at just recording a bunch in advance. And now we're just like too old and wizened for that life. Um, yeah, I think can't that's, that you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but in kind of exciting news, last week I got a dog. Yes, if you don't follow Anna on Instagram, you should be because the dog content is excellent. There's a lot of it currently. Um, Yeah, we picked up our eight-week puppy last Wednesday. His name's Tub, Um, so he's nine weeks old now. Uh, He's just an absolute bloody angel. I love him. He's so sweet. He's just like... The doggiest dog you can imagine. He looks like a cartoon of a dog. Um, (laughs) And he's been very well behaved so far. And my boyfriend is doing a wonderful job of being the kind of primary dog parent as he works from home. Um, So he's being extremely responsible and looking after him very diligently. So I'm very lucky. I can't wait for our dogs to meet and start doing their own podcast. I know. I met Caroline's dog for the first time, uh, like the day... I was going to say the day before, but the day that I picked up my dog, (laughs) which is so funny, like ships in the night, they just missed each other. But yeah, we do have to watch out and keep them away from microphones because 
could get competitive. Morris doesn't do a lot of barking, but he does make weird ghost noises. Well, so like, just sometimes when he's like alone in a room and you're in a different room, you'll just hear him going, ooh. And that is weird. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't know. We were told when we were like get, looking into what kind of dog to get and stuff that this particular breed does make woo noises. But for some reason, I thought they would <laughs> be like more... like an owl crossbreed? <laughs> yeah, I just somehow I thought they would be more like forceful but it's just like a really gent it's someone one of our friends described it as um you know in scooby-doo when like the baddie's got a sheet over him and he's pretending to be a ghost and he's going woo in a really unconvincing way that's what he sounds like (laughs) oh well you need to get him some acting lessons yeah (laughs) bless him yeah so it's just been great i love being a dog owner finally after many you know long years of wanting to be one so it's very exciting there's been actually a fair amount of pop culture news happening recently given that it is still like the tail end of august and none of the big new autumn shows have launched yet or anything like that uh although bake-off did start last night which yeah. for me is, is always like did you watch big... it i did not i will catch I didn't up on either. it either yeah we'll i just have to. i think yeah maybe we'll talk about it in a few weeks time um, once we've maybe absorb this series a little bit but to be honest since it moved to channel four it just doesn't feel pressing for Mm. me anymore Mm. i don't know why maybe it's psychological maybe when the bbc does something i feel all well styled that i have to pay attention (laughs) um but also there's been the edinburgh festivals happening the last few weeks for those you don't know there are sort of multiple festivals that run in edinburgh during august the most famous one being the fringe with all of the comedy and experimental theater and stuff but there's also the international festival the book festival and the tv festival and uh one thing from the tv festival that particularly caught my eye was michaela cole who's someone who we both really like and whose work we follow who she wrote and starred in chewing gum and she was also in or she is in a forthcoming star wars film she was Anna, in Black Mirror. Anna, yeah, she was in Black Mirror, but you're looking at me like I'm crazy, but I'm pretty sure I'm, she... I'm like, this is Phoebe Waller-Bridge. You're confused. No, it is but her. maybe she is too. I'm Googling it right now. Yeah, she's in The Last Jedi. Okay, fine. Sorry. I, I don't watch Star Wars. I, yeah, I know, neither do I. But anyway, she made a speech <laughs> at the Edinburgh TV Festival. And one of the reasons why I mentioned the Star Wars thing is because she sort of alluded it to it at one point and she said, you know, uh, and then I got a role far, far away. Mm, okay. Yeah, anyway, the main subject of her speech was very, very serious because she was talking about a topic I feel a lot of people talk about these days, but without her kind of authority or gravitas, uh, about the issues arising from being a minority person in the entertainment industry. You know, she was talking about being a woman of colour and all of the myriad ways that that's affected her career in the way she's had to act you know, beyond the sort of headline things that most people know about, you know, for instance, her, you know, not having the sort of networks or nepotistic access to parts or, you know, like not getting paid as much beyond those things. Obviously those are important, but there are many. And the other thing she's talked about was her experience of sexual assault whilst working in the entertainment industry and the two different incidents she talked about and the different ways that like her colleagues and employers handled it and how that's affected the way she views work now basically it was an incredible speech and I happened across it quite randomly I think on Twitter then went hunting to be like where is all of the excellent news coverage of this that I would like to consume Mm. and 
couldn't really find any. Mm. I found a couple of like small write-ups and the full text and video of the speech, which we'll link to so that you guys can check it out. But I feel like deserved more attention totally and maybe it's just a further example of exactly what she's talking about that it hasn't been covered in the in the way that you might expect because i do think if it was someone like phoebe waller bridge there would be a lot of write-ups of of that speech yeah and you're right it's absolutely what she was talking about because there are so many factors just in that one little dynamic like for instance not only the fact that Michaela cole is a black woman and phoebe waller bridge is white but the fact that uh Michaela cole's like biggest thing that she's known for in the UK chewing gum was on channel four Mm. not on the BBC and therefore was seen by fewer people and a different Mm. kind of demographic you know I mean I remember when um Fleabag was transferred onto was it BBC two yeah from BBC three you know there were like older people at work who were in charge of us coming up to us being like that Fleabag thing you were talking about I've seen it now because it was on BBC two like no one did that with chewing gum yeah you know So there are so many like smaller things even within that than just the fact that one is white and one is black. Yeah, totally. Although obviously that is like the crowning thing of all of it. Yeah, it's all interwoven in those decisions. Um, Anyway, this speech was amazing. I really want to read it. It's kind of passed me by in a way that I wouldn't have expected something like that to pass me by. So I'm very keen to read it. Yes, well, we will put the link... uh, in the prominently in the show notes so that everyone can find it and if after reading it you have any thoughts arising from it do get in touch because i think it's a good starting point for discussions as they say um so yeah you can get us on seriouslypod at gmail.com or the social medias as seriouslypod great so the first thing that we're going to talk about today is to all the boys i've loved before which is a netflix original film based on the young adult novel of the same name by jenny han It stars Lana Condor as Lara Jean Covey, a high school student who yearns after romance but conducts most of her relationships as fantasies inside her head, and Noah Centineo as Peter Kavinsky, a fellow student whom she pretends to date. Now, it's an enduring format, the fake relationship um, rom-com trope. I feel like there's been just so many rom-coms with that as their premise, uh you know from i don't know isn't like leap year there's loads of them i now want to get them up but um 10 things i hate about you i think is famous example just absolutely iconic i've also seen so many people comparing noah centineo to heath ledger yeah um a particularly excellent tweet that i saw can't remember who it was from sadly um saying that the biggest thing they have in common is that they both do brilliant I'm about to cry facial expressions and I'm grinning ear to ear facial expressions but very little in between yeah um which is just like so enduring like maybe think of easy a actually and like pretty woman there's just a whole a whole tradition of that as a plot so there's something immediately familiar about it and rom-coms you know they do follow templates and it, it doesn't necessarily become like a bad thing like you don't sit down to rom-com like oh shit haven't i seen this plot before in Mm. in how to lose a guy in 10 days and you know other other films like that instead i feel like for me being like oh sounds like she's all that is actually like quite a good thing for me yeah it's almost a recommendation right yeah but and there's there is an extra element to the plot in this particular film which is that there's all these letters 
that she's sent out to her crushes and she's trying to throw one well, boy off the scent. Well, she writes the letters and then, but never intends to send never them. Never intends to send them. They get um, sent to and her And then crushes. her little sister sends them almost as like, a, what would you call it in like a Renaissance drama? You know, like the kind of um, mischief maker role. Mm, totally. Like she does it just because she wants something to happen to her sister rather yeah. than her always like be stuck inside her own head. Yeah. So the fake relationship is originally conducted as a way to kind of throw her older sister's ex-boyfriend, who is one of the recipients of the never-meant-to-be-sent crush letters, um, to throw him off the scent of the fact that she still has these feelings for him. So she enters this fake relationship with Peter Kavinsky. And spoiler alert for To All the Boys I've Loved Before, which I think straight off the bat, you should just watch To All the Boys I've Loved Before because it's so great. It's like... It is it is a tired trope, but one that's bringing re- a real freshness to it. There's just something really sweet and light and modern about it. But yeah, spoiler alert: the the feelings um, that she has for her older sister's boyfriend start to fade away as she enters this fake relationship with Peter Kavinsky, and that's where the kind of tension of the rom com um, starts to appear. And I love that. You know, I love that elaborate scheme, forcing them to spend all this time together, forcing them to flirt with each other openly in front of other people. It's just, you know, it's a classic for a reason. And it really yeah. works here. It's funny and referential for lo- in lots of good ways. Like even the part where she tries to get him to like agree to certain rules about their relationship um, mm. and she wants to like write it down and have them sign it is even a little bit Fifty Shadesy. Mm. Um you know, she wants there to be a contract setting out the sort of boundaries of their fake relationship and what they each owe to each other. And there's a funny negotiation where, you know, he's like, yeah, so obviously we're going to have to kiss in public, otherwise no one will believe in it. And she's like, no, absolutely not. I will allow you to put one hand in the back pocket of my jeans. That is mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later on, you like see him doing that in the cafeteria mm-hmm. and the camera kind of zooms in on her butt, which is funny. Yeah. And it, it there's, I feel like, a very deep understanding of where the kind of thrill of a rom-com lies in this movie that, you know, knowing that like him putting his hand in her back pocket when they're not actually a real couple, like there's such a thrill in that for a viewer, the contract as well. Like there's a lot of bargaining throughout the film about like, okay, you can come with me to this party, but you have to wear your hair down and fine. We'll kiss in front of your ex-girlfriend, but then you have to drive my sister to school every day. And all that bargaining is there's something really flirtatious and really kind of like there's a lot of energy I mean their charisma on screen is great and that's a huge part of why those scenes work so well but for me there's also something so inherently perfect about a rom-com that understands that actually the best bit of the rom-com is not the like final getting together or Mm. um, the big dramatic row it's like these little kind of flirty moments that people love to see when they're watching a rom-com and it really stretches those out and you know it's the last third of the film where some tent like actual arguments and actual getting together all of that kind of stuff happens quite late on in the film and I think that's a really good decision because it just means that all these perfect sweet high school moments really get their time and they get done in a really brilliant way yeah and I was really really impressed as well by both with the way the I think the original story was written, although I haven't read the book, but I think it must be in the original story. And then also the way that they've adapted it, that they avoided all, I think, of the common problems of the rom-com. Like, you know, even 
as much as I love something like 10 Things I Hate About You, if I watch it now, I'm very aware of like some of the inherent conservatism Mm. that it represents and that kind of thing. You know, I feel like there's been a lot more conversation recently about, you know, why do rom-coms always feature white heterosexual couples? Why Mm. are parents never like into the fact that their kids want to have safe romantic relationships, Mm -hmm. you know, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas this you know, the main family is a mixed race family. You know, there's lots and lots of like minor characters of different backgrounds and stuff. Mm-hmm. Also, the uh, main character's dad, when she's going off on a school trip, which is notorious for having sex, like just in a really calm way, is like, here's some condoms, like, just don't do anything stupid. I trust you. <laughs> you know? I feel like the um, really supportive parent has become a much bigger theme in like teen movies and, mm. and in recent years like love simon includes two incredibly um supportive parents call me by your name like there's a bunch of movies i feel that are have bit come out in the last couple of years where like actually we don't want to see kids having really difficult you know it's great to have those issues explored in some things but i feel like there's a real desire to want to offer like positive templates and a real desire to want to show kids that actually you deserve like a parent who if you know you come out or something or if you reveal that you're having sex with someone who is like happy for you and (laughs) you know wants to wants to help make that as emotionally and um medically safe as possible um so yeah I really like that trend and it's definitely on full display here yeah and I like as well um this might be a bit too much of a leap but whilst I think big studio movies are still lagging behind a bit on this even despite of the evidence of things like girls trip and crazy rich asians which have been like huge box office successes there's still this sort of inherent reluctance to like embrace the fact that films starring all kinds of people appeal to all kinds Mm. of viewers Mm. whereas netflix has always been super guided by the numbers i think there's that story isn't there about how kevin spacey uh first tried to get the US adaptation of House of Cards made by basically every US TV network and they all turned him down mm-hmm. and then he took it to Netflix and they said yes on the basis that Kevin Spacey films and the original House of Cards were popular on Netflix so the two together couldn't go wrong yeah and I feel and- they've done the same like they've made a whole string of like teen aimed films now with diverse cast like stuff even as recently as like set it up things like that they've all done well so they make more yeah and it's interesting because Jenny Han was saying that when she was optioning her book for, you know, to production companies to be made into a film, she ended up going with the only production company of many that would agree to not whitewash the cast. Really? That's awful. Which is shocking that in, you know, 2017 or 16 or whatever at the the earliest, people are still saying... Uh, we Even will in not a book make explicitly written, like by an Asian woman with yeah. that in mind. We will that's... we will not make your book unless we can recast the Asian lead with a with a white woman, and that's that's beyond. And obviously, I I don't fully know the relationship between Netflix and the production company that made the film. You know, I can't give Netflix the credit for um, the decision that was fundamentally made by the production company. But it does, I think, make sense to me that she's gone with this particular production company that's then gone through Netflix. Like there's something about that that um, feels revealing to me in some way, but it's, it's so 
beautifully done. There's no burden on this character to be representative mm-hmm. of any sort of background. It's not that that is not really a, a key part of the narrative here. Um, she's just someone who happens to be Korean American, and you know, that's that's her heritage, and it's not really something that's involved in the narrative apart from the fact that Lara Jean's mother died when she was young, and so there's an element of like, oh, we cook this food. Yeah. to remember my mum there's that there's that kind of element coming in and yeah I just really it's really nice to see something that can just be f- totally fun and positive and unburdened by re- you know any sort of weight of mm. what representation might mean for audiences and that just gets to be really the perfect sweet teen rom-com it's just yeah. brilliant it really is I watched it while I wasn't very well and it definitely improved my day oh Peter Kavinsky <laughs> the perfect romantic lead, you know. Yep. La- Lara Jean is a really brilliant character because she's both quiet and charismatic. So you both relate to her really strongly in the kind of fantasy sequences. And she gets to live that kind of really great flirtatious element in the scenes where she's, you know, flirting with Peter Kavinsky, but doing it in a quite an understated, underconfident way. Mm. Well, not even underconfident, it's just quiet confidence. And Peter Kavinsky is just like the classic all-American jock who, with a nice heart, you know, it's just perfect. He's his. I think he brings this real puppyish, boyish charm to the role, and he's got you know all these incredibly long eyelashes, and it just works so well. Yeah, I think, and he's very like heart on his sleeve about his emotions. Like one of my favorite bits of the whole film were when they're on this big ski trip, and Lara Jean is like off doing face masks with her gay best friend, and they're talking about like Peter and oh well you know I think I secretly like him but he's obviously just into the fake relationship and her friend is like he keeps wanting to hang out with you he doesn't like he's not going around with any other girls and he's been really really clear that he just wants to spend loads of time with you I really don't think you need to worry about being the one who's actually fallen for real about this (laughs) and he's right that like he's not been shady about it like he's just been really open and it's the mental leaps they always force characters to make in rom-coms where they're like he got down on one knee and got a ring box out he obviously hates me and wants yeah. me dead and you're like <laughs> it's like the classic kind of frustrating acrobatics that you see these characters do in their heads when you watch a rom-com but it's all part of the fun isn't it yeah a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So now we're going to talk about Be the Cowboy, which is the fifth studio album from the Japanese-American singer Mitsuki. It features the singles Giza, Nobody and Two Slow Dancers and came out earlier on in August. Yeah, so a very highly anticipated album. Mitsuki, since her fourth album Puberty 2 was released, has kind of become something of a critical darling, you know. Mm. Um, She's not the most famous singer-songwriter, which I was reminded of when... I said to some people that I work with, like, oh, I want to do my column on this. And they were like, on who? Sorry. And I was like, wow, <laughs> in my very small sphere of the universe, Mitski is like a superstar. Like if yeah. you're interested in kind of like, I don't know, indie rock, especially if you're like, you know, a woman in your 20s into indie rock, then Mitski's just like the queen of it. But in a larger sense she's obviously not that famous and so this this record's been really highly anticipated by you know pitchfork and the fade had ran a big interview with her before it came out um and i think she was kind of expected maybe to produce an album very similar to her last one and it's actually quite a bit more experimental compared to her last one so it's got 14 tracks and they're all very short yeah that was something that really struck me actually that like there isn't a single one over four minutes yeah and a lot of them are maybe not what you'd think of as like full complete songs like they're maybe only a minute or so and they don't have a you know repetitive structure in any way they're just almost like little vignettes um and they're very very tightly constructed even though they're not so traditionally um structured um yeah so there's a lot going on in just a couple of lines you know um but she's had to be bold i think to kind of create songs that maybe seem like they're um like the structure hasn't been really agonized over when they are actually very deliberately written in a certain way yeah in some ways it reminds me uh do you know the magnetic fields album 69 love songs i don't um that's a, a different style of writing but similar concept in that they wrote 69 love songs wow. some of them are 45 seconds and some of them are seven minutes mm. But each one is a love song in a different mm. way. And that's very much what this reminds me of, that like each of them is a perfect idea and they've been expressed in the length that they needed to say what she had to say. And then she stopped. She didn't go like, this must be a four and a half minute pop song, so I need to repeat the chorus four times kind of thing. Totally. And it's called Be the Cowboy. And she kind of talked a lot about how that was that came from a phrase that she was kind of jokingly repeating to herself, which was like, be the cowboy you want to see in the world. Um, (laughs) And the idea that you can like take on the kind of swagger and purpose of a white man and just do whatever you want. um, And kind of believe in, there's something 
quite kind of stupid about a cowboy when you think about it like what are you doing wearing that like ridiculous hat and boots and, and, and so performative so performative yeah. but actually just like backing yourself to believe in your own image and be like yeah I am like I am this mythical cowboy and like I'm mm. going to perform like one and everyone has to treat me like one and respect me like one like there's something about I think probably being obviously I don't know as I'm not a singer but I can imagine there's something about being a performer that really requires you to do that a bit and be like yeah I'm a rock star and I'm going to just behave like a rock star and then people are going to treat me like one <laughs> and it's yeah you know quite um I don't know it's it's quite a difficult thing I can imagine to do but yeah there are moments on this record that I think um really reveal that it's not you know it's not this album isn't an album that really can be summed up by its title and it's not like she's playing with ideas of like I put on my cowboy hat and blah 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 no, but there are it's not a country no, album but there are senses of it's just a really purposeful record and you can really you really yeah. hear that throughout and the, the opening track is geyser and it's just really amazing the more i listen to it the more i feel like really moved by that song um mm. and i read an interview where she kind of said that it's you know it's sung to a you but the you is not like a romantic you but a you know the act of making music and the career path that she's chosen and sort of like the idea of having a calling and she really kind of leans into that on geyser and it's quite a you know I, when i when i listen to it I kept thinking of the phrase radical self-acceptance, which is a phrase that just like means nothing at this point. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. one of those phrases that like has been tumblerified to the point of meaninglessness. But at the end where she's sort of saying, you know, I will be the one you need. I, the way I can't be without you, I will be the one you need. I can't be without you. And kind of saying to like, yeah, I, this is what I do. This is the person that I am. And um, even if it's like, obsessive and depressing and even if I make bad choices sometimes and I like do weird things because I've chosen this path like whatever that's just who I am that's fine and mm. that I found I just found it so moving and I feel like that's there's an element when I listen to Mitski's music where I'm like oh yeah she's like she understands that there are there are kind of like things bigger than yourself in the world that you're kind of like moving along with and I'm going to sound like Russell Brand like talking absolute bollocks about spirituality that I don't have any like actual <laughs> language for but just the idea that there is kind of something bigger than yourself out there and that sometimes your actions aren't super explainable and it's kind of okay um I really yeah. like that I really um uh, this might be completely wrong according to her thinking of this but um the whole be the cowboy thing instantly made me think of there's a live performance on YouTube of Billy Ray Cyrus doing achy breaky heart in I don't know about like 1988 or something and he is just the epitome of like musical confidence mm. in that performance you know he's he's got a stupid mullet he's wearing like horrible baggy cowboy clothes he looks ridiculous by any standards but he like completely backs himself to be amazing mm. and that's what the, this makes me think of in a way like my favorite song from the album is Nobody. I have listened to that like a million times over. I absolutely love it. And I just think it takes a lot of like artistic confidence to make a whole song out of the fact that like nobody likes you, but that's okay. Mm. Yeah, it's a little bit, There's, I think it's really tinged with a bit of irony as well and like a self-awareness mm. that actually like, you know, Billy Ray Cyrus looks ridiculous or whatever. A kind of awareness that actually this is self-pitying and silly because 
Um, yeah. There's, you know, th- like you say, the word nobody is repeated so many times, but there, there's all these kind of like flourishes in the song that do make it a bit like, yeah, nobody loves me, think I'll go and eat worms, sort of. Exactly, um, that's the attitude of yeah, it. Yeah, there's like, that I think about um, the line where she says like, I've been big and small and big and small and big and small again mm. and still nobody wants me. And then there's this like cheery little double clap in the background that just goes like, and then she says again still nobody wants me and it's just that kind of like disco flourish that is without you know it's a song that's probably the most poppy and the most disco influenced Mm. and stuff that that kind of like dancey element to it that's sort of kind of ridiculing that feeling even as it's embracing it totally earnestly in another sense yeah the video for nobody really underlines that sense of like slightly sideways irony as well because it's all very like primary colors and a little bit surreal and like there's a moment where she I can't remember at what point in the song but where she um like a disembodied arm pokes through the wall and she like holds hands with it and they're kind of like oh look now I have somebody I'm holding hands with this arm and just her whole expression is like I know this is really stupid but I'm doing it anyway and we're singing this song because it's fun um and that's the feeling the whole album gives me actually that like none of this is to be taken like completely seriously Mm. which is something I find quite refreshing actually because you know we've talked about quite a lot of albums in the last few months and there aren't that many of them that I would categorize as like self-aware in a non-objectionable sense yeah and there's a line in it where she says something like am I the same as all those old men like writing songs about themselves um so there definitely is that feeling but then I also do love the moments on this album that are like really Ernest, I like remember my name where she says something like, mm. I need something bigger than the sky. How many stars will I need ha- to hang around me to finally call it heaven? And that idea that like, yeah, you just still wanting and not really knowing what you want, but like still after everything, having these huge feelings of like one. And um, mm. Alexandra Pollard did an amazing interview with Mitski in The Guardian where she talked about like, those kind of feelings of um wanting and desire in in terms of the in terms of the record and I'll read it because I just think this is so interesting and and seriously people will like it so Mitski says that the album is inherently feminine and then she says when I say a feminine album immediately the perception is that it must be soft and lovely but I mean feminine in the violent sense desiring but not being able to define your desire wanting power but being powerless and blaming it on yourself or just hurting yourself as a way to let out the aggression in you it's a lot of pent-up anger or desire without a socially acceptable outlet um Mm. which I just thought was such an incredible quote (laughs) on the on the forces behind this album so yeah there's a lot going on here and I would really recommend that seriously listeners get into it yeah and it's also like aside from all of that like it's fantastic music Mm -hmm. like just on a sort of melody level Mm -hmm. I found it so so good to listen to you have highlights nobody is definitely my favorite but to be honest like I think that's true of all the songs it's unlike you know we talked about the Ariana Grande album last week and that for me definitely had like highlights and lowlights and I don't think this album does Mm -hmm. like I listen I put it on and I listen all the way through I don't skip anything because yeah I really like nobody I really like why didn't you stop me but it's not because I don't like the ones that come in between you know I love Geyser so much and I love Lonesome Love which is probably one of the Mm. most traditional like in fact definitely the most country-ish song on the record this kind of quite traditional ballad that's just two verses but lyrically is amazing 
um, where she sings about getting all dressed up to meet someone so that you can win and like finally end the relationship and be the bigger person. Mm. And then it's the line is something like, then you say hello and I lose. And you're like, oh, wow, that's <laughs> such an in, such an in, And then there's an, one of the lines that's been the most quoted by critics where she says, nobody butters me up like you and nobody fucks me like me. Um, <laughs> it's just, yeah, some really devastating lines in that one. And it's so melodic and so nice to sing along to. And so I love that one too. Yeah, but all in all, just an album I think we would highly recommend people check out. So last week, Caroline, I want to say recommended, but kind of recommended the viewing experience of Tootsie, the Dustin Hoffman film about Dustin Hoffman dressing up as a woman to get acting roles. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I feel like you recommended it to me in the sense of like, I'd be interested to know what you think rather than I unquestionably love this movie. Exactly. Yes. Uh, I found when I watched it and I didn't watch it that long ago for the first time, I found it thought provoking and frustrating, I think in equal measure almost. Yes, totally. And I think perhaps the most frustrating element of all of this film is the fundamental premise, which is the idea that Dustin Hoffman's character is unable to get the roles that he believes he deserves as a jobbing actor because no one's taking him seriously enough and he's difficult to work with. Um, so he dresses up as a woman and all those problems go away <laughs> rather than become 10 times more difficult. So he, he dresses up as a woman. He's already coaching his female friend in the art of playing a strong woman, which she's really struggling with and his notes are really helpful. Then he himself, you know, dresses up as a woman goes to the audition and everyone's like wow he's bringing a this this yeah. woman's bringing a real strength to this role that we haven't seen from other women gets the part behaves difficult or you know stands his ground on set when he's faced with sexism and is respected for that rather than <laughs> yeah basically behaves in a way that an actual woman would get immediately fired yeah. for yeah and um you know everyone's really impressed with his incredible performance that no woman's been able to pull off before and that fundamentally is a very dated and very problematic premise because we all know that the reality is it's even harder for women to get good roles it's, there's even more competition for even flimsier more silly roles plenty of women are perfectly <laughs> accomplished at performing strong women and the fact is you know studios don't like it not that women can't act in a way that is strong and resilient and that when they stand up for themselves to sexism on set it becomes a whole difficult thing to navigate uh they don't win the respect of their peers that way um having said that all that aside which does sound like a lot there were th elements to to this film that i really liked which i really wasn't expecting i thought justin hoffman was really good yeah. he he played the part very well and, you know, there were other little bits that annoyed me, like sometimes women are the butts, butt of the joke where like he he kind of um, develops feelings for a girl that he's only speaking to when he's dressed as a woman. And she says to, hit, to her what she thinks is her girlfriend, like, wouldn't it be great if a man just told you exactly what he wanted? And that was just, you know, I think you're really interesting and I want to have sex with you. And they're like, yeah, that would be so good. And then Dustin Hoffman tries that to, to her when he's dressed as a man and gets a drink thrown over him. And I think the laugh there is meant to be like, these silly women, they say that they want something and then they don't, um, which is just not the issue. Like yeah. <laughs> just, you know, aligns the, the reality of the two situations completely. 
but yeah, there were parts of it that I thought were were really interesting um, in how. I don't know. It, the The acting was really good, and there were just moments where I found myself actually thinking things about, like, yeah, I wonder how it would go down if someone said that, or like, yeah, I guess these this man really is realizing his own kind of like problematic behavior towards women in his life, even if he actually believes that he's, you know, um, maybe he wouldn't label a maybe a, a character in a film from that time wouldn't have necessarily labeled themselves a feminist, but this guy clearly thinks he's a good guy and like up for equality, but can't see the way that he's treating women in his personal mm. life like crap. And the film basically is about him learning that he's doing that. And that is good. <laughs> that is good. Yeah. It, my, one of my biggest frustrations with the whole like fundamental basis of the plot is that, you know, he has to go through all of this and like affect the lives of so many other people unknowingly just to learn to be a bit less selfish Mm, when other people like manage that without doing all of this but you know it's a film so you sort of have to make allowances for over dramatizing things so yeah um but yeah I agree that's kind of how I felt about it that there's something inherently attractive about this film but it's quite hard to put your finger on exactly what Mm -hmm. a lot of the like gender politics of it feel wrong now or feel like very simplistic um but then some of the other bits like I, in the same way that I like in Mrs. Doubtfire, how much Robin Williams's character becomes like proud of his female presentation. Mm. I like that in this film as well, that like actually the way he, Dustin Hoffman's character dresses and uses makeup and stuff isn't the butt of any jokes. Like he takes it very seriously. Like he's constantly going on to his flatmate about like, you know, I just, I need to learn more about clothes. Like I need to like find the right dress for this. He's very serious about it. Mm. And I like that aspect of it. Yeah. And one thing that's equal parts good and frustrating is the, the level of frustration the character feels in that he's unable to be like a pretty young woman. Yeah. Instead, he has to be this kind of like, older considered less attractive kind of woman and he has feels that he has problems as a result of that and like understanding the way beauty privilege works is obviously interesting but it's also kind of frustrating that that he sees women in that way already for him to be like but i should be one of the pretty ones like the idea that he feels that he has some i don't know he obviously thinks that as a man, he's in that category. Yeah, he thinks like, yeah. I'm one of the pretty men, so I should yeah, be. Yeah, <laughs> or just that they're fundamentally more human in some way, so yeah. he wants to be like one of those. And that's kind of, that's problematic, but also I think probably the reality of how most people do feel, I guess, in a weird way. So yeah, that and, and you know, a greater awareness of like, oh, like there's a moment where someone's coming on to him very aggressively, repeatedly, and, or her, he thinks her. And, um, you know, this, this man keeps embarrassing, keeps embarrassing, um, him and like making him do things like let him into his flat. And then, uh, when Bill, Bill Murray comes along and is like, why did you let him, you know, so he sees this scene of him being kind of assaulted essentially by this man. And it's like, why did you let him in the flat? And he's like, what do you mean? Why did I let him in the flat? Like he was out there, he was singing, he was humiliated, you know, that, that greater awareness of like, you don't the the lack of choice you have when you're in these yeah. these situations um you know was good it's just it's really funny because it's it's also very watchable and there's something as you say attractive about it it's just so riddled with all these you know we haven't even begun to get into the area of what it might mean looking back with a trans rights perspective oh, course, on it yeah. because 
I mean, neither of us are really equipped to have that conversation, but it's just so, there's so many potential areas for it to become completely problematic. And yet there is still something quite attractive about it. Yeah. So I think I I would like cautiously recommend it to listeners in the same spirit that like, it's an interesting watch and it's like, I don't know, I think it's a good lens, like back a couple of decades or three decades on how these issues were viewed then. Mm. Um, But I wouldn't like unequivocally recommend it as a joyful film to watch or anything like that but you've got a listener recommend for next week I believe yes well it'll be two weeks actually um yes sorry but we've had an email from Nicoletta who writes first off she says I'm so happy that Seriously is back and that Anna has a dog now Caroline's dog is also very cute (laughs) thank you for dog compliments and then she recommends the film Beginners by Mike Mills who directed 20th Century Women which you mentioned before so I assume you've both seen it correct we have Um, she says I really love both of them but beginners just broke and mended something in me I sobbed when I saw it in May and I still think about it great I think that is a very fine recommendation so I am quite keen to try this film which having just looked it up very briefly uh, it's from 2010 it was indeed directed by Mike Mills it stars Ewan McGregor Christopher Plummer uh, Melanie Laurent basically Um, and I don't know much more about it than that Well, I'm very excited. It sounds right up our street. So we'll get back to you in a fortnight. Yep. Speak to you then. Thanks for listening to this episode of Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. If you enjoyed the show, why not subscribe to make sure you never miss another episode? We're available in all the usual places you get podcasts, including on Apple Podcasts, where you could leave us a rating and a review if you fancy. It makes us happy and it also helps other people find the show. If you'd like to come and see us in person, check out the events page of our website, seriouslypod.com slash events. Details of our next pop culture quiz and anything else we're doing will appear there. We're available many other places on the internet, including on Twitter, Facebook and Tumblr. We're Seriously Pod on all of them. Follow us to keep up with what we're up to or to chat to other listeners about things you've enjoyed on the show. We love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or hearing your thoughts on what we've already discussed. Get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com. And if you feel strongly that more pop culture needs to be taken seriously, spread the word and tell your friends and family about the podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.